Hi, my name is Jerry Gibson. I'm a counselor at Complete Counseling, and you're listening to Rebuke. This is the Raglan family. We would like, love for you to donate to the Justice for Crystal Raglan Memorial Fund on GoFundMe, and you're listening to Rebuke. This is Marcus, and you're listening to Rebuke. This marks our 21st episode, and we got a lot to discuss. Uh, once again, if you want to uh, donate some funds to the to the podcast, you can go by going to Cash App, uh, dollar sign Rebuke R E B U K E E zero six. The number uh, the 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 link again is dollar sign R E B U K E E zero six. Now, police killings uh, of people with mental illness are a huge problem for all for all races. Studies shows that as many as 50% of people killed by American police have registered disabilities that have a huge percentage of those were people with mental illnesses. One study states that people with untreated mental illnesses, illnesses are staggering 16 times more likely to be shot and killed by the police. But African-Americans are even at a higher risk due to racism in the country and in our police forces. Um, I heard about this story about a year ago, and it was very uh, alarming and touch uh, and touched my heart. And and for the recent weeks, and I saw I saw pictures of this person that was a army vet, and this touched me because my dad served twenty years in the military. My brother, he serves in the National Guard. So I know what the Army vets go through from a uh, from a brother standpoint and as a child, seeing my dad going through from a standpoint. And the story uh, 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 touched my heart and I wanted to do something. And when I saw the mother um, uh, go in the courtroom and, and plead her case for her daughter, I wanted to do something for the family, so, to, so I'm using my platform for the family so they get the word out about their sister. So the name of this show is uh, Say Her Name, The Life and Death of Crystal Raglan. Uh, first of all, I want to thank the Raglan family to come, for coming on the show. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thank you for having us. We really oh, appreciate it. No problem. And also, we have Officer Wheeler from uh, from Detroit, Michigan, and Jerry Gibson, a counselor, on the show as well. Thank you as well, Amen. Uh, you're welcome. You're definitely welcome. Thank you for having. Oh, no problem. Now, the Raglan family. I, I want to ask you this this question. What do you think of all the things happening uh, in the United States and across the world and, and things happening and getting accomplished since the murder of George Floyd? I'm, about to. Um, I'm sorry. Uh, can you repeat that question? I'm sorry. 
I said, what do you think about all the things happening and getting accomplished since the murder of George Floyd? I mean, I think that a lot of things are changing. Um, I think that a lot of people have, their, their eyes have been open to something that they think they thought could have never happened to their family or to somebody that they knew. Um, I think with his death, it just, it really brought it home for a lot of people to see somebody literally be murdered, you know, in front of a camera um, because of the color of his skin. So I think it really brought it home for a lot of people that this stuff is real. Like, it's really happening. Okay. Any 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 members of the Veracruz family want to expound on that as well? This is uh, Ricky and I. I think you know, as far as this the killing of George Floyd, like Tia said, it opened the you know eyes to a lot that goes on in the black community and how we're just how they treat us as we have no value, how, how we have no worth, and they just shoot us down and kill us. All right. Anyone else before we proceed? Um, this is Brandy. Um, Go ahead, Brandy. So for me, it was a matter of being heartbroken and frustrated. Frustrated that it took George Floyd dying to finally be the straw that broke the camel's back. It didn't take Crystal it didn't take um, Tamir Rice, it didn't take all the numerous people that it happened to before for people, and not just white people, because yes, a lot of people who are not African American eyes are finally being open, but just even some African American people to finally be like, wow, okay, now it's time for me to speak up. You know, it's not about me being concerned about losing my job I should be more concerned about losing my life I'm glad you, you made the point Brandy because that's where I was kind of alluding to I know that what happened to George Floyd was a was a, a tragedy and a bad thing but I seems it seems like people don't sweep around their own front door <laughs> they like to go to other places I understand what happened in Minneapolis was wrong, but we have issues here at home as well. And I'm glad you brought that out. But thank you. Yeah, because if we're if we're going to talk about home, um, that it's surprising to me how many people are going to bat for someone that they never knew. But yet there are a lot of people who knew Crystal or knew her siblings or knew her mother, you know, who have yet to use their voice. And one thing that I do know is that all of us who knew Crystal, who were impacted by Crystal in whatever way, we are required to be her voice in the earth now that she's no longer here. Agreed, agreed. Now, I'm going to move on to the second question. You know, the media likes to paint a negative picture about black people, especially when they get murdered or whatever. They're always trying to dig up dirt or bad things that they've done in the past. Um, this is your opportunity to tell us, tell the world, what who was who was Crystal Ragland? Can you tell people who was Crystal Ragland before she joined the military? And, and, and can you tell us why she joined the military? 
Somebody walk. Hi, my name is Vivian Ragnar uh, Battle. I'm uh, Crystal's mom. Go ahead. Uh, Crystal, Crystal was a beautiful person. Not only because uh, she was my daughter. Krista uh, wasn't a type of person that was, you know, she was she was full of life. She loved life. She loved her family. She loved her friends. And I can remember the day that she graduated from high school, her expectations of what she wanted to do. She wanted to make a difference, you know, for her family. Because with her growing up with six other siblings, you know, it was kind of hard, you know. Uh, so she decided that and we had to talk and she decided that um she wanted to join the military you know and then so after she uh I, I, her father being in I mean, you know with her father being in the military she wanted you know to follow in his footsteps oh okay so when Krista joined the military um she was really being the youngest you know i was very proud of her with her being the youngest, she wanted to help her family because uh, she saw how her family, uh, I don't want to say struggled. I mean, it's it, not the word of struggle. She wanted to help out her family. She wanted to serve her country. She wanted to make a difference. And then to go on and to uh, serve in the military, Crystal received a lot of uh, rewards while she was in the military. Uh, Crystal wasn't a criminal person. Uh, Crystal was a fun-loving, high-spirited person. And the people that, that knew her knew this. And they loved her. And, you know, it's so, I mean, it's hard for me to talk about this. You know? Okay. I got uh, you. I, uh, I feel that Crystal, uh, I feel that Crystal, uh, was done wrong. I mean, you know, it's a part of life. It's a black African American. She was done wrong, you know. Like my daughter said, you know, it shouldn't have took George Floyd's death to, you know, to wake up the people in Huntsville, Alabama. We have people, we, you know, you have your own right here in Huntsville, Alabama that's being killed by post And the way they done it, you know, I just feel that they should have, uh, I mean, somebody needs to answer because I feel that it was wrong and, and let me leave it. I'm going to leave it. Okay. I want to, I want to, I want to elaborate on that, um, far as who is Crystal is me, uh, for, for me. Who is you? This, this is, this is Tiffany. Okay. Go ahead, Tiffany. Um, so one, not only was she a sister, um, she was a friend and she was a giving person. I have never met anyone, and this is on everything that gave to the last cent out of her pocket. Um, it didn't matter um, if she needed it. She was, If you needed it, she was gonna give it to you first. Um, I just wanted to elaborate on that because I wanted to I want people to know that, um, I guess mom already uh, said it, but she truly was a person of, I'm going to make a difference. I'm not going, if I come up, everybody's coming up. So I just wanted to say that. 
Thank you, Tiffany. Any, anybody else want to elaborate on their sister or uh, tell the world who she is? So, so we, we already seem like she has she was, she was a, a great person, wanted to make an impact in the community, wanted to do, join the military to be like her father. Anybody else before I move to the next question? I would like to say something. This is Brandy. Okay, again. go ahead, Brandy. Um, I'm Crystal's oldest sister. Um, nope. Crystal is, uh, there, there's an eight year age difference between the two of us. And Crystal's like my baby. So um, my kids viewed Crystal, even though they called her Aunt Crystal, they viewed her like a sister. Crystal loved her nieces and nephews. Crystal just, she was full of life. Like they said, you you could, you are guaranteed to laugh when you are around her, like hysterically laugh. Um, you are guaranteed to um, dance because Crystal was a dancer. You know, she was all about having fun. She was a foodie. Um, <coughs> Crystal liked to travel. She was very artsy. Um, She's just an eclectic individual, you know. She never um, met a stranger. Crystal was kind to everyone. Thank you, Brandy. Now we're gonna move on to the next question. You know, uh, research indicates that Crystal Raglan, you know, served in the military, and I'm glad that her mother let us know she won numerous awards but she was diagnosed with PTSD and schizophrenia. Uh, we have a counselor on, on on the show. His name is Jerry Gibson. He's a very good good friend of mine and, is, and very knowledgeable in, in, his, in his craft of a therapist in the city. Uh, Jerry, can you define the two illnesses for the audience? And can not only define that, but what can these illnesses do to a person that did war combat in the army and then later on come back to the civilian environment? You know, in, in preparation, thank you, Marcus. And in preparation for talking about some of these things, I pulled up some information that I had from um, Blue Cross Blue, Blue Shield, right? Which is a big insurance company, which June was just PTSD awareness month, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I wanna I wanna quickly read what PTS, PTSD is. Y'all, excuse me for putting my glasses on, I'm getting old, right? <laughs> Understood. So it says post-traumatic stress disorder occurs in people who have experienced or witnessed a traumatic event. Event can occur from a car accident, plane crash, fires, natural disasters, war or combat, violent crimes, death, or serious injuries or illness of a love of a loved one. The event can occur in a single instant or it can occur and result from sustained uh, repeated exposure over time. Reaction to such events can vary by individuals and symptoms may appear soon after the event or sometime uh, after some time has passed. Some of the things that you get from PTSD is nightmares, uh, reliving the event, unpleasant, uncontrollable thoughts, feeling of sadness or guilt or worry, irritability, problems falling asleep or staying asleep, avoid avoiding reminders of the event, feeling alone or isolated anger outbursts, feelings of wanting to hurt yourself or feelings of wanting to hurt others. Uh, you you take that and you add in schizophrenia, which is uh, the way I try to explain to people is imagine dreaming something, but it's actually reality. 
right? Uh, this person is actually seeing this thing that, you know, we've all had that experience where we look to the right or the left and we thought we saw somebody. Mm-hmm. Well, imagine looking to the right or the left and what you saw is there. And not only is it there, it's talking to you, right? Or you're hearing a voice. Most of the time with schizophrenia, uh, what you hear is always in a negative sense. Uh, some of my research, when we're talking about schizophrenia, it takes away 20 years of a person's life. Uh, mostly because of some of the things that we're talking about. The person between substance abuse or, put, or being put in situations where people don't understand the impact on mental health. You know, I, I listened to what y'all were saying and one of, the, one of the words I wanted to throw out there is a stigma, right? And being black itself is a stigma. And you you throw in the fact of having a mental illness and being uh, a black person, uh, it lowers your life expectancy by so much. And one of the things in our community that I'm, I'm pushing for is that we have to make sure we're seeking more counseling and not just because I'm a therapist, but because we hold all of this stuff in. You know, you hear that, that sense of, we got this angry black male. Well, what I learned, because I struggle with some of that same anger, that depression and anger, they look the same way, right? So mm-hmm. if I'm depressed and somebody's saying he's angry, well, what am I angry about? What am I depressed about? Maybe because I can't get a fair shot at a job or I'm not being treated the same. Or I, I look at somebody may get a different privilege than what I'm afforded. Those things we have to make sure we're aware of. I know I got a little off topic, but... That's a little bit about PTSD and schizophrenia. Okay, uh, is is it when these with these illnesses and they when a person comes from overseas back to civilian world, ain't that a, ain't that a little too dramatic for for this individual, or Jerry? You, you know, I think what what we what we don't talk about with with, with PTSD is that we can get these things in our community. Mm. You, I can I can just about guarantee you the majority of the of the people that we're talking to right now from the list that I, I read off, they went through some of these things, you know, but we, we don't get them treated. So now you're in the military and you go to a place, a, a foreign place, and it doesn't have to be, um, you know, you got to remember perception is reality. It doesn't have to be wartime. I think we get that misconstrued sometimes. You can go to a place where you feel like your life is in, in jeopardy. So you're walking on eggshells, right? And then you come back home from the military and now you've been placed in this environment where you got other people with mental health issues walking around the streets. And most people, you know, from police officers, firefighters, uh, your your average person, how much do they really know about mental health? You know, a lot of this stuff I didn't know until I got into the profession. And I think one of the biggest things we have to do is educate. Agreed, agreed. Agreed. Um, uh, Tia, I'm going, I'm going to gear this question towards you. Did when Crystal came back, I'm, I'm quite sure y'all, 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 y'all noticed a difference. When Crystal came back, did she come to seek, seek therapy and, and, and took medication for illnesses? And what did the military do for her? Because my dad was in the military for 20 years, and um, he had to fight tooth for nail for his benefits. So that's why I asked that question for you, Tia. 
Yes, when she came back, she definitely was different. Um, we noticed signs of her changing before she even got back here. Um, just some of the phone calls that we received from her, um, just some of the behavior that she had. And of course, at the time, we didn't understand it because we didn't know what it was. Uh, so, <laughs> so yeah, uh, she definitely, um, she definitely was a different person before, I mean, before she even got back home. Um, she did have to fight very hard for the benefits, the little bit of benefits that she did get. Um, she was taking medication for her disorders. Um, and she was seeking help through the VA clinic. Um, and as far as, you know, from what, from what we, um, as far as what we were told, because of course, Crystal didn't have, um, any guardianship. So, uh, of course, due to HIPAA and things like that, we, we, we were told that she consistently went and got help. Um, and she consistently, I mean, for the most part, she stayed on her medication. Um, so yeah, she, she was doing, um, her part as far as seeking the help and knowing that she had a disorder. Um, but as far as what the military did for her, I think they failed her. Mm. Yeah. So we're going to allow, we're going to elaborate on that later. So, um, uh, the, the military failed a lot of veterans and not, and, and this is, this is a prime case. Um, Tia, can you uh, tell the audience um, uh, what happened on May 30th, 2019? Now, um, if and if it's it's too much to to explain, just let me know, and I got we'll, we'll take a pause or a break. But just just let it. I just want the audience know what 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 happened to this this uh, army vet veteran. So. Um... At the time when this happened, I actually lived in North Carolina. And um, so yeah, I, I actually lived in North Carolina. Mm -hmm. And um, Tiffany, um, who is, she stays on point about everything. She got, she saw on, I think social media that um, a woman was shot in the area where uh, Crystal lived. Mm -hmm. um, she immediately started to text all of us, calling everybody, trying to call Crystal, um, just to make sure that it wasn't her. But, you know, just just the because... Yeah, just so... So, the there was a call that was placed um, stating that a woman uh, had a gun and that she was pointed at neighbors. Of course, that story has changed so many different times. Um, but when the police arrived, they were, they were knowledgeable of her condition. Um, they knew that she had PTSD. Um, they knew that she had schizophrenia. Um, I think her landlord was the one who made the initial call and he knew of her condition. And he also knew that there were certain steps that he was supposed to take before even contacting the police. He failed to do that. Um, Within a, I think less than a 60 second encounter, Crystal was shot and killed in front of her home. Mm. Thank you for the, uh, that's sad. Um, 
and you said the landlord knew her condition and, and, and basically the landlord failed the family as well. Yes. Um, and Krista had been living there for years, so it wasn't a secret of what her condition was. Um, and not okay. to say that her behavior displayed what she had. She wasn't ashamed of what she was going through. So being that she was, you know, a lovable person, a friendly person, she did share her story with people. So it wasn't like um, no one knew of her condition, uh, that everybody was very aware, very aware. Um, so, yeah. And uh, we weren't, we didn't know of Crystal's condition, I guess, until after the fact, of course, you know, hit social media first. Uh, but we weren't, we actually had to reach out to find out if it was our sister that was in fact murdered. Wow. So the, the police department didn't call and let you know? No one contacted us. We reached out. Uh, we reached no. out. Go ahead, Tiffany. Um. So I, this is Tiffany. Um, so what had happened, Will, um, like she said, she caught you up on the story of um, me re- looking on Facebook. I just woke up and I just seen it and I just felt shaky and I just knew something was wrong. Reached out to my family. Um, I actually reached out to the apartment complex, you know, hey, just doing a welfare check, you know, just trying to make sure my sister's good. I see that something happened in the neighborhood, just making sure she's in the clear. They actually told they actually told me that they couldn't speak to me. And so from that point, I knew that something was wrong. And they said they'll have a uh, criminal uh, crime unit um, investigator contact me. And so from that point, crime unit contacted me. They still couldn't speak to me. And so I transferred them to my sister, Brandy. But yeah, it was, um, we had to reach out to them. They didn't reach out to us. Oh. All right, this is okay. All right, I'm going to go ahead because I, I I really we have an officer on the show, and I'm quite sure he's going to tell me something totally different than what he just heard and what we just heard. So let me go ahead and you know um, let me read my part, and then I'm going to go to to the officer. Uh, people live with mental illnesses all over the world without being shot and killed by the police. This happens in great part because police in many other countries aren't are trained to shoot first, ask questions later, later type of mentality. In fact, in many countries, it is the standard for mental health experts and nurses to travel with the police on mental health health calls. That means that if I, uh, Officer uh, uh, Wheeler is on uh, on the line with us on the show with us. When he he goes with goes out and it's a it's a mental issue, he must go he must contact Jerry, our therapist, and Jerry must go with him in order to in order to, to address this issue. So Officer Wheeler, I, I I have to ask this man, what is the proper pro- protocol? I know Michigan is different from Alabama, but to me it should be all the same. You know, but what is the proper pro- protocol for a policeman? dealing with a person, especially an army vet now, that has a mental illness. And my second question is, what would you have done, uh, what what would you have done if you were called on the case knowing the person is suffering from mental illness that served in the military as well, knowing that 
you used to be prior service as well. Go ahead, Officer Wheeler. Well, first of all, I, my heartfelt sympathy goes out to the family. Um, and I thank them for introducing her to me. Uh, Marcus made this uh, situation known to me not too long ago. Uh, and it touched me. So I had offered to uh, come on and try to attempt to explain what we would have, what we've done in Detroit. Now I've since retired from Detroit Police Department. Um, I started out in Detroit on as a police officer in 1985, and we did not have training to deal with people with mental illnesses. We almost had to do it as we go and get the experience on our own. And I've always said that a lot of times in many police departments, they don't try to fix stuff until something goes crazy. And we could mention things to the higher up in the police department and they just brush it off and they do what they think is most important or pressing at the moment. Uh, but let me just give you a little brief, give you a, a scenario, because I've had these police runs when I worked the streets. I was out there on the streets for eight years. And it's amazing that um, I decided to become a police officer. I'm just tell you this real quick, because back when I was in high school, back in the late 60s and 70s, the Detroit Police Department was predominantly white. Uh, three, myself and two friends of mine, we were roughed up pretty good by Detroit Police at the time. And I was about 17 years old. After that, I made up my mind that I was going to become Detroit Police Officer because I was going to do the job the right way because a police officer's number one, number one duty is to protect the people. That's, that was really near and dear to my heart because I was going to show them, especially some of the white officers, that you're not going to do this to my people because we had to have more black officers that would come when they came on the job that would make sure that the white officers would not continue to do what they've been doing for a long time, what we call a systemic racism. But anyway, uh, after I got on the police department, we had many runs and uh, I don't want to do any injustice to the term, but they were called mental runs, I believe. And they would call, say, for instance, I worked the 13th precinct, they would say 13-1, go to such and such address. We have a person uh, that's possibly mental, that has not taken their medication in two or three days or even a week. Now, me and my partner, we're trying to figure out how to handle this run because we have no training in this run. So we would get that together before we get there, decide who's going to talk to this person. First thing we want to make sure is the person armed. Now, the dispatcher would tell us if the person was presumed to be armed. Now, that changes everything. Now we have to figure out what to do if we see the person that is armed. And back in the 80s and early 90s, there was no really no videos like they have now. And my understanding is that they haven't released the uh, footage from the video camera. So anyway, my, we were trained. They didn't train us to just tell us we are training you to shoot to kill, but we're training you to shoot in, at the vital part on the person. Because if they shoot at you, you're, you're not going to just try to shoot back at them just to wound them, which I believed should have been done by a lot of officers. But that was their decision. There was some, a lot of bad shooting. 
I almost shot a person once and it would have been a bad shooting. It would have been a, a human error on mine, but it could have cost somebody their life. So understanding what a lot of officers go through is different when you're looking at a white officer compared to a black officer. You know, the mindset is different. You understand what I'm saying? It's different. They might not give a damn if they have to take that person out because you don't know their mindset. They, you ride with them every day. So I'm gonna, let me let me try to shorten this up and make this LP into a 45. But again, if you get to the to the run and I've decided that I'm going to take over the run, I'm going to do the talking. We have to find some way to talk that person into going to the hospital so we can get them to take their meds. If they decided that they didn't want to go, we still got to take them some kind of way. And how do we do that? Sometimes there was wrestling. I wouldn't call it fighting or we had to injure them, but there's different forms of techniques that we had to develop ourselves to see, maybe I have a rapport with this person that they will listen to me. Because it's amazing, sometime on the street, sometimes I was able to talk us out of stuff from fighting more so than my partner. So that was my gift, because I didn't want to fight anyway. So, but if the person had a weapon and if the weapon was pointed or aimed at us, could I shoot to kill? I could. Or would I make the decision to shoot to wound them? Many officers said they don't have time for that. If a person draws a weapon, if they draw a weapon, that this is what they're going to do. Now, um, that's a hard place to be because we don't know the mindset of anybody. But we know mostly, what is it, probably 98% of shootings from white officers have been black males or black someone black and unarmed. So until that video comes back, that's going to solve a lot of things because they do have that footage. They have not found a weapon. That's amazing to me how you can shoot somebody and say, we don't have the weapon. That's the problem. So that way, whoever your lawyer is, they have something to work with right there because they must produce a weapon because from whatever distance they shot, fired that shot, that gun, that weapon is going to be somewhere right by it and it should have been confiscated. But they apparently, from my understanding, they don't have it. I think you were asking me another question. Uh, and I think I alluded to that, what, what I have done. Now, that's a really tough question. But I'll tell you this, because of the compassion and the heart, I'd survived 25 years as a Detroit police officer. Many people thought that I wasn't gonna survive it because of my compassion for people, especially my people. You know, I treat everybody right, but I know how we've been victimized over the years. So I felt like I'm gonna protect them from these white officers who wanna to continue to, to brutalize them. So knowing me, I probably would if somebody had had a weapon, I would have got my butt shot because I would have tried to do all I can do, but not when a weapon is pointed at me. You, you, you really caught me. You have no other choice. But here, there is no weapon to be found. So I have a problem with that. Um, okay. I think uh, now a vet, I'm on the street right now, even though I'm not a cop anymore. I do street ministry and I run into many vets they're out there living on the street that are suffering. And I was out there a week or so ago and it broke my heart that these vets are living on the street because, you know, Crystal left here and she came back. She left here 
better than what she came back. That I know for sure. We know this country, they send us into different things and they mess us up. Then they send us home and they don't take care of us the right way. They don't get us the right treatment. They don't do enough. But a country that's supposed to be the greatest country on the planet Earth, and they can't get this done. I'm, 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 my, but my heart is broken for you, for the family. And I'm going to continue to look into this along with Marcus to see what I can do from Detroit in getting some people involved in Detroit in your cause. Thank you. Thank you, Officer Wheeler. Um, press for time. I'm going to skip one of these questions. I'm going to go straight to the question, the next uh, next question for Tia and the family. Um, Officer Wheeler alluded to it, to, it, uh, to it earlier. I read that Crystal, she, article says she had a gun pointing at people and she asked the police officer to kill her. Witnesses also, um, I did research, witnesses says she didn't have a gun uh, and didn't see Crystal with a gun and nor was it recovered. Um, now, my question is, has the police department shown the family the body footage indicating that she was endangering them and the community? Um, so Marcus, um, currently we aren't legally represented. Okay. Um, so uh, members of my family have seen parts of um, some body cam footage. Um, and due to the fact that we uh, aren't legally represented right now, I don't want to uh, discuss any details about the footage. I personally haven't seen it. Um, but we just don't want to talk about that right now, being that we uh, are still seeking legal representation. So, uh, Totally understandable. All right, I will proceed with the next question. Has the police department done anything for the family since this tragedy? In your opinion, what should the police department have done on May 30th, 2019? Um, they haven't, I mean, um, for as the um, police department, they haven't did anything for us um, toward the family. They haven't. Uh, they haven't even apologized or, or sent out any type of sympathy Nothing. or anything. Um, you know, I would just. Uh, you know, I would just. I don't know what the word to use. That you know, if you when they shot her how they handled the case you know they took me to a place they and the only thing they said was well you know she was in okay okay well i don't want to get into that they haven't even apologized they haven't even sent out any sympathy even the uh the uh councilmans and none of them i haven't received any kind of apology or anything the family haven't received anything for any of them and on May 30th, what uh, I feel like what should have been done was yeah. um, a council that should have been contacted. Yeah. Um, and just from my experience with, uh, uh, I've had a experience with someone who suffered from some mental illnesses. And whenever that person would have an episode, um, a, a medical um uh, a medical deputy, I think that's what it's called, will be called out to handle that person. Yeah. And in that situation and in that case, I think that's what should have been done. Yeah. Um, it should Someone should have been sent there who was trained because there are supposedly some officers here who have been trained to handle people with mental disorders. Um, it it should have it went a lot different. And no, Crystal shouldn't have been murdered. 
none of them, uh, no medical uh, people mm-hmm. that dealt with uh, people with mental issues was on the scene uh, at all. You know, they didn't send out anybody to try to calm her down or, you know. I don't even think the situation was de-escalated. It wasn't even de-escalated, you know. But, you know, like I say, it was... Hey Jerry, oh, I, I got a quick question for Jerry. Jerry, are you trained to to go out in situations like that? Yes or no? I say yes. You know, the you got to get past all of the politics in that first, right? Because a therapist is a therapist is a therapist, whether I'm in the community or not, right? So yes, you can. Um, but you want to have somebody like Officer Willis say you want to have somebody that can relate to the people that they're dealing with. Keep in mind now, Crystal could have took all her medication, did everything right, and I, I, I don't want to stay too long. Medication will stop working, right? Mm-hmm. So now she's done everything she's supposed to do, and she finds herself in a situation that's out of her control. It's up to us as a community to step in and support her, not to take her life. Mm. And I know you won't have legal representation of uh, the Raglan family, but I think you can answer this question. Do you feel that Crystal, would, it was a white woman, she'll still be alive today with the same issues? Uh, this is Ricky Ragland. Oh, go ahead, um, Ricky. I believe, I believe if, her, if she was of a different race, I truly believe that the way everything went down, it, it wouldn't have went down the way it was. I believe there would have been de-escalation. Um, and it's, it's just sad, you know, that you have to come to realize that there's a difference. Oh yeah, and it it, it hurts you because take your time, brother. <laughs> yeah, it, it it changed everything, but you know it put anger in my heart. Okay. But I'll, I'll let somebody else be on it. But yeah, it, 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 it truly woke me up to how they really do us. And it just changed my view, you know, towards the police. I used to be pro, you know, police officer. You know, if something was happening, I would help them, you know. But to see them not really, you know, there's bad ones out there that take care less. You know, it, it, it just changes everything. All right. Thank you, Ricky. Um, You're welcome. Now, I'm going to ask this last this question. For, this is for Jerry and Officer Wheeler. Now, man, what we can, what can we do from a therapy arena and a justice department arena in the United States to better serve African Americans to prevent more police killings that for people that with mental illnesses. And I'm going to start with, we'll kind of make this quick. Let me start with uh, Officer Wheeler and then Coach Jerry. All right. Um, from the Justice Department, when you're looking at it, it's got to start local. You know, we, you can go up to, to the governor, to Washington. you got to start out locally because that's where the changes have to start at. You, you know, and you got to press them. you got to continue to press them. A lot of times they feel a lot of black folks are after a while they'll wear us out and we'll quit and give up. 
and we won't continue to press it. You know, I know some folks that they stay on them left and right until they get tired of them, until they realize that they have to give them an answer, that they have to make that situation accountable and that their job is to make sure that the community understands and is educated and that they are making the changes, not just continue to talk about the changes. Sometimes we might think we might need a four or five, 600 people. Sometimes I realize that it doesn't matter. It's those who will continue to press it and keep pressing on and don't let it go so they can make the changes at a local level within the police department. Last but not least, I understand that, that it's called CIT training, that Huntsville PD is only four of Four is only four police departments in the whole United States that get that training. They have gotten a grant for that training. So what does what what does the family know about the training that they should know that these officers receive? And did it happen that they are the shooting? Gotcha. Uh Jerry, uh what we need to do in the uh therapy arena to to prevent these uh these killings by the police department i think educate uh we have to have an honest dialogue um you know i think too much work is happening after the fact after somebody's been killed after somebody's uh been traumatized you know because here's a whole family that's been traumatized and you know we've done nothing as a community and we failed the family uh my condolences i don't think i've said that uh, goes out to the family. Uh, one thing that I would like to offer now, if y'all need any counseling, give us a call. I don't want to make this a plug about about my my practice. Me and my wife were here. We will, uh, I'll say this, we'll, we will do it free. All right? Uh, I think as a community, we have to start pulling together. We have to start, we have to stop looking at stuff only when it's in our best interest. All right? Uh, we have to educate not just the black community, but the world in general about mental health. And we have to follow those steps and those protocols that are put in place to keep people safe. If we do that, we'll, cha- we'll change some things. But it has to stop being after the fact. Absolutely. Lastly, this question is for the, for the Raglan family. Um, what does the Raglan family have to want, uh, has to say to the local community, the police department, in the world about Crystal Raglan's death? And what do you want us as a black community to do to prevent uh, a death like this? Uh, this is for everybody in the Raglan family. So it, just raise your hand. Do you want to speak or you tell you, I, I, I didn't hear from I didn't hear heard from Deldrick. I don't know if he wants to speak or he doesn't. I guess he don't want to speak. Okay. I'll say I'll say I'll say something. Oh, go ahead, Tiffany. Um. So I was um, and and I'm I don't want I guess I can't you can't answer a question with a question, but I would say to the community, I would answer with a question. And I was asked the question, you know, you know, when it happened, they asked me, well, what would you do, you know, if you had the power in your hands? So my question to the community is, what would you do if it was your sister? 
if it was your daughter, you know, what would you do? Um, my answer to that was, is, I mean, I would want everyone to step up um, and have something to say. I would want everyone to go out to vote, make sure they're reading these amendments, um, making sure that um, they're playing their part, making sure that when you see someone in trouble or you stand by, you make sure that all the protocols are being done. Um, also make sure that you're researching, you know, researching what mental illness is. You're researching what police brutality is. You're researching your your rights, your civil rights. You're researching. So I, that's what I would want the community to know and to know that one day it could be you. I never thought that it would be me or my family. And I, I see it on TV, but I never thought it would have happened in Huntsville, Alabama, right beside me and it being my sister. Tia, what would you what do you have to say for the last question? Uh, do you want me to repeat the last question? You can go ahead. The last question is: What does the Raglan family has to say to the local community, the police department, and to the world about Crystal Raglan's death? And what do you want us as a black community to do to to help with mental illnesses? Um, one, um, we deserve answers. Um, we we deserve complete thorough answers that are unbiased, meaning that we deserve an external investigation. Um, we deserve an apology. Um, and our community, like as far as um, how the situation was handled, we, we it's got to get better. Um, we, we It has to get better. You can't, we can't continue to to move forward and forward and act as if, oh, is this just another black person that got shot? No, we like Tiff said, like, what can we do to prevent this from happening? Um, you know, Crystal didn't deserve to die. She didn't. She didn't deserve the treatment, you know, that she received in her death. Um, even just, I, <laughs> so it, we have to, um, as black people, we do need to seek help. We need to we need to be knowledgeable. Um, we need to get therapy. We need to we need to talk, you know, about things that makes us uncomfortable. Um, and I don't know if I answered that question. I just kind of got a little emotional in it. But it's all it's all good. It's all good. Um, okay, go ahead, uh, D. I'm gonna call you D. <laughs> That's my nickname. Okay, good. I got it right then. <laughs> yeah. Well, the only thing I want to say as far as the community is we, we need to start paying more attention to who we put in these problems because they're not speaking up for us. they the ones that are letting a lot of stuff happen to us. And when the things happen, they don't step up. Mm-hmm. They too get checked and they're scared themselves. We need to get back to where we have strong leaders that did not care that we would stand up for the black community. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Amen to that. Okay. Man. All right. Ricky, you yeah, you get Ricky, you, you wanna say something or are you good, Ricky? You know, the black community, I just want us to come together, you know. 
we got stuff that's happening right here in our backyard and it's like they they won't they where's the where's their voice for what's happening at home you know we're so quick it's the community is so quick to jump on the bandwagon for what's going on somewhere else but we got issues right here in our backyard i just want our community to step up and let their voice be heard and let's become one and hey let's let's get in front of these courthouses let's get in front of these councilmen and all out these leaders and let them know that hey you're not going to keep doing us like this mm-hmm. that's what i want the community to do you know that's what i you know expect from the community all right thank you uh that's the that's the end of the show and um i'm going ahead and before I go in the show, I'm going to give you my, my thoughts. I'd like to thank the Raglan family for having the courage to come on the show and talk about their sister. I know it was hard for them to do this, and I truly pr- appreciate them uh, being uh, coming on the show and doing this. I also want to thank Officer Wheeler. Uh, he's on vacation, mm. and he's actually <laughs> he actually coming on the show. Um, and I'd like to thank uh, my, my good friend, Jerry Gibson, the counselor, the therapist, for coming on the show as well. Second thing, um, I wanna say that we have, we all have failed Crystal Raglan and the family. Uh, we, have, we have a failed system for mentally ill people, especially for people of color. We have to come up with a better system to help mentally ill people and give the police officers extensive training on, training on how to de-escalate situations with people with mental illnesses. Uh, like the family said, we gonna have to learn as a community how to handle mental illnesses. You know what I'm saying? Instead of, you know, uh, first thing we do is call the police. Let's try to de-escalate the situation ourselves. You know what I mean? Because like you said, these police officers squeeze first, ask questions last. So maybe I can, maybe I can talk to somebody, I can talk somebody down or maybe I can just call a family member and calm them down and maybe the family member is on the way <laughs> to to finish that problem. So as a community, we need to learn learn how to handle these situations. And uh, I, I looked at the, the Raglan's family's uh, GoFundMe account and I'm gonna, be, I'm, gonna be, I'm gonna be a little bit honest, I'm a little pissed off. And I'm a, I'm a little, I'm a, I'm a, not a little, I'm a lot pissed off. They're, they're asking for Ten thousand. They're asking for ten thousand dollars to get some stuff done. They're trying to get closure for the family, and they barely don't even got nothing. They ain't close to that. So the community has let the Raglan family down in the city of Huntsville. I'm gonna do my part. All I'm asking is the black community do their part, so this family can have some closure. I have in my my group for over 400 people in my group. If if everyone gave $10 to her GoFundMe account, that's over $4,000. You spend $10 at Chick-fil-A. I know I'm a platinum member. So I know how much Chick-fil-A cost. So if you if you really care about the black community, everybody stay woke and they conscious and they all this. If you really care about your local community, you really care about a uh, police brutality, you really care about uplifting your brothers and sisters. All I'm asking you is to donate $10 to their GoFundMe account. 
and uh, Raglan family, can you give the audience your the GoFundMe account so they didn't know where to go? So I don't want no excuses like, oh, we don't know where to go. No, tell them where to go so they can donate at least, if you can't do 10, do $5. If $5 times 400 is over $2,000, uh, $2,000 to the cause. So so somebody please give the, uh, the, the GoFundMe account, please. But it's Justice for Crystal Raglan Memorial um, Fund. That's okay. the name of it. Um, and you can just search it by that. Um, and then the link tree is uh, linktree.com uh, forward slash crystal, Justice for Crystal Raglan. Okay, thank you very much. Thank you very much. Once again, I'd like to thank the Raglan family for coming on the show. I'd like to thank Officer Wheeler, uh, Wheeler and uh, Jerry Gibson for coming on the show and, and spending time. Uh, as I end every show, I always end with my slogan, that knowledge is power, economic freedom is salvation, but if you put the two together, we can build a great nation. Thank you very much.